This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. A very good morning to everyone. Good morning. It's a joy to uh, be with God's people and I uh, thank God for all of you and also those who are at home. Now, uh, it's an unfortunate thing that I've been nursing a cough for three weeks, so I ask for your pardon if I cough a little bit uh, when I'm preaching. Um, but I thank you for um, persevering with me. Now, if you have your Bible, can I invite you to keep it open? Because we'll be looking at the passage very closely from Mark chapter 6, the second part of the chapter. Let me begin by asking God to help us as we commit ourselves to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being the God who preserved and sustained this world. God, You see everything that happens in this world. In times that we are afraid, we can find assurance that You are not because You sustain it and You are the God who knows all of us. So we pray this morning as we come to you, that you'll calm our nerves if we are distracted and stressed uh, at whatever stage of life that we are in. And pray, God, that you'll help us to focus on your word and that we can draw from your strength. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the last time I'm going to say this. Get into bed now or you will not be able to get up for school tomorrow. Now I heard my own voice, perhaps you have heard this before, echoing in my children's room because it seems to take forever for kids to put down their books, to brush their teeth and just get into bed. But as I heard myself saying this is the last time, I remembered how an old gentleman back in Perth was giving me parenting tips when I first became parents. He said how he used that same words on his children. This is the last time only to say to himself, what a stupid threat. This will not be the last time. And he told me, compassion and perseverance are essential in parenting. Today we come to a passage where Jesus reveals himself to his disciples yet again that he is a compassionate shepherd and a persevering Lord. What his disciples should have understood, they have not. And so the Lord Jesus continues with great patience to teach and to guide the twelve disciples and revealing himself to the people. So this morning we'll continue from Mark chapter 6 verse 30, 31 onwards where we left off last week. Now after returning from their missions of going to the villages to preach, to cast out demons, and to heal. Verse 30 onwards reads like this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. It seems that the disciples had seen some fruits in their ministry and as they returned to Jesus, people are coming to them from everywhere. It's not just Jesus now who has no time to eat. Even the disciples have no time to eat. It's not just Jesus working alone to care for the people. The disciples might well be still involved in doing some of the healing as they too are becoming exhausted. The adrenalines are wearing off. 
Now, it is significant that at this point, Jesus gathered his disciples to himself and he pulled them out to rest. Jesus said this to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, Jesus did not want his disciples to be burned out, so he pulled them out from amongst the crowd. But they were not called only for missions, but also to find rest in Jesus. Jesus' gathering of the disciples showed that the care Jesus has for them and their need for Jesus. He said, come to me, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The Christians, I want to ask, have we ever felt exhausted in the midst of serving people? Or perhaps we find ourselves so busy, we have no time to pray and read the Bible. But as Christians, in the midst of our busyness, the call to read God's Word and pray is not meant to be an obligation or burden that is being put on us. Rather, it's God's compassion for us that we will not get exhausted with the never-ending needs around us. We must serve the Lord, yes, as He called us to, but we must come to Him and find rest in His Word as well. But by drawing near to the Lord and feeding on His Word, we get reminded that the Lord cares for you and for me. And that we need the Lord as much as the people need the Lord that we are not the Saviour Himself. For we feed from God's Word, or we will run on empty tank very, very quickly. So whether we are Sunday school teachers, you Bible study leaders, parents or Christians just trying to serve others in an official or unofficial capacity, I think we need to remember the Lord Jesus does care for you and for me. We need to come to Him through His Word to be refreshed we need Jesus as much as the people we are serving needs Him. So Christians, when we are tired, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, this is a great reminder that we have a compassionate shepherd who cares for us. So as the disciples now had a little bit rest from the crowd in the boat, uh, they, they enjoyed a bit of peace there, but it didn't last very long. For people start to see them on the boat and they were persistent and so they start to run and they ran faster than the boat. So verse 40, 34 says this, When Jesus landed and saw a crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. <clears throat> so despite the large crowd, gathering and cutting short their, their much-needed retreat and weekend away, Jesus didn't really get upset. Rather, he was overwhelmed, say Mark, with compassion for the people that came to him. He saw them, they were like sheep without shepherd. Now, what does that metaphor mean, sheep and shepherd? Well, it is a scriptural imagery of people <clears throat> without a God-fearing leader or king to care and to rule and to guide them. We read in scriptures in the Old Testament, Moses was described as a shepherd of Israel back in Isaiah 63, 11. In fact, King David, he was literally a shepherd of his father's sheep before he became the shepherd of God's sheep. I want to share with you this account of King David describing how a shepherd cares for his sheep. Now, there was this battle going on between God's people and the Philistines. 
and there was this great Philistinian champion called Goliath. Goliath was there taunting for 40 days non-stop at the enemy's line, laughing at the Israelites, and none of the Israelites dare to face him. Even their so-called king, Saul, was cowering in the tent. Until one day, this young David came along. He was tasked to look for his brothers. He came in, he heard this um, Israel, uh, Philistine um, champions taunting at God's people, and he was upset. Say, why is no one responding and defending God's name and God's people? And so he went to Saul and he said this to Saul. I want to read what he said to us. 1 Samuel 17 verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But listen to David's reply. He said this, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now the Jews, they had heard of shepherds of God's sheep, like Moses, like David, from days of old, but they're gone now. As they are there gathering, once more they are like sheep without shepherd. But here's the irony, because in this same chapter last week, we read that they did have a king, and his name was Herod, who rules over this piece of land of Galilee. But Herod has murdered John, the Baptist who came to direct the people back to God. King Herod was no shepherd king of God's people. Well, the, the people had the religious leaders as well, but they only added burdens upon burdens on the people. They, these, these leaders, they were like the unfaithful shepherd of Israel described in Ezekiel 34, who only fattened themselves, but they care not for God's people. So here Jesus, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion and he began to teach and shepherd them many, many things. No doubt throughout the day, Jesus would have taught them about the coming kingdom of God, of God's compassion and desire to save them from sin. The people were listening to Jesus, but they had no idea how the deep compassion of Jesus would eventually bring Jesus on the cross to die for the sheep. So just as Jesus cared deeply for the disciples, so he cared deeply for the crowd. All who are weary and burdened, who gathered to him, he shall not turn away. So brothers and sisters, friends, the deep compassion of Jesus is still made available to us in our world even today. If we have never come to know Jesus in the past and turned back to him now, he will not turn his back on us because he will extend his compassion. Now the sun is setting as Jesus was teaching and the disciples tried to signal to him but they, he just ignored them. And finally, they see that Jesus is still going to carry on teaching. The disciples finally came to him and he said this, 35, Jesus, this is a remote place. <laughs> it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something 
to eat. Now it seems to the twelve that Jesus has got carried away. He started teaching and in his enthusiasm, he, he didn't realize the sun was setting. Perhaps Jesus really did need some help. Now the twelve of them are there to help him to realize that there is a limitation. And indeed, there is a limitation, but the limit was on the disciples, not on Jesus. So Jesus turned and looked at them and this is what Jesus said to the twelve. You give them something to eat. What? Instead of thanking them for reminding Jesus, Jesus gave them the task, the impossible task of feeding thousands of people. What? How are we going to do that? So, so they rebutted. That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? You can imagine if you're there, Judas Iscariot, whose job was to hold the money back. He held it even tighter, he looked at it, and then he started waiting to the heaven. No money, we do not have enough to give to these people. But Jesus ignored all their bewilderment, and he continued. How many loaves do you have, he said. Go and see. So the twelve of them went out amongst the crowd and gathered all the food they can find. They came back with that impressive amount of five and two fishes. You can imagine their tone of voice to Jesus as their eyes gazed upon the thousands of men and their family. And they replied, five loaves, Jesus, and for snacks you get two fish. Can you imagine the kind of tone they have? Well, Jesus is fully aware of the situation, wouldn't he? But he continued his instructions to the twelve, ignoring the, their bewilderment. He said, you go and get the thousands of people, gather them in hundreds and fifty, and get them to sit down in this remote wilderness. Again, you could imagine if you are one of the twelve, thinking ahead, if Jesus thinks he's like Moses, what are we to do to gather hundreds and fifties? What are we going to do after they sit down? How are we going to feed them? But indeed, they will feed these thousands of people. Jesus will feed the people through these twelve. What he wants, this is why he says, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and he broke the bread. And listen to this. Then he gave to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Now, if you are a first reader reading Mark's account, the breaking of bread and the feeding of multitudes in the wilderness and remote place would no doubt be a clear parallel to God feeding the people when they were they left uh, Egypt and Exodus into the wilderness heading to the promised land. But what God did, Jesus was doing here, shepherding the people towards the kingdom that God promised. It was a clear revelation that Jesus himself was divine like God. In fact, the early Christians in the early centuries, they were very quick to even pick up the parallel between this breaking of bread by Jesus and the Last Supper in Mark 14 later on, where Jesus would once more break the bread in the presence of the twelve. Now Jesus here, he has fed the directionless sheep with God's word, now he's breaking the five loaves of bread to feed their hunger, and soon he will break his own body to feed their spiritual desperation. In fact, Jesus has called himself the living bread from heaven. This is in John's account in John 6, so that they can have eternal life. 
No, Jesus was doing what God alone can do to be the shepherd that will lead God's people into God's kingdom. This feeding of 5,000 is such an important and foundational miracle or sign that all four gospel accounts record it to remind us who Jesus is. The disciples by themselves, they could never be, be able to feed the people. Only Jesus could. But Jesus has plans for them to involve them. We saw previously, Jesus had already started to give them power to preach the gospel and the cast of demons to signify the coming of the kingdom of God. And here, he hands them the multiplied bread to be given to the people and they distribute to the crowd that were gathered there in groups. So dear friends, this continues even today as we look at today's passage because Jesus, he too, would put his good news, the living bread, into the hands of his people who would distribute out to generations after generations. By ourselves, by the followers of Jesus himself, it will be impossible to feed anyone but with the bread of Jesus. In fact, the gospel of Jesus the spiritually hungry will receive good news. Everyone who repents can receive Jesus and have their spiritual hunger filled. Now, if we are Christian today, we need to know Jesus does care deeply for us and deeply for our world. And because of that, he has also entrusted to us the living word that can feed the spiritually hungry. It is in your hands. Right now, if you have it open with you and you believe in Him. By ourselves, we have nothing to feed people. Without the Bible, there's nothing to be fed. Whereas you gather in this gathering today. Without this Bible, we'll be gathering here doing nothing. Without the Bible, your weekly small gatherings at homes have nothing to give. But with the Bible, we who have nothing can distribute the very thing that give us life. So I pray that we know this Jesus and He cares for us. If you're not yet a Christian, can I say that Jesus cares for you as much as He cares for His disciples? He didn't just sit comfortably in heaven and say, I care for you. He came down amongst us to give Himself so that we may receive the eternal kingdom of God. So here Jesus wanted His twelve to to recognize who he is and how they will spiritually feed the starving world by proclaiming the shepherd king. And so, after the crowd of 5,000 men, along with the wife and children, are, have eaten and are satisfied, Jesus sent out the disciples, all 12, to collect the leftovers. And when the 12 returned, all 12 had baskets full of the miraculously multiplied bread and fish. They, there they have in their hands the visible proof of the divinity of Jesus. They should have recognized at that point Jesus really is the Messiah from God. But as we read later on in verses 52, the twelve who had the front row seat of seeing Jesus breaking the bread and feeding the multitudes in the wilderness, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. So we read on from verse 45. This is what happened next. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, after the crowds 
were fed, Jesus immediately compelled, that's, that's what the word actually meant in Mark, Jesus compelled his disciples to get in the boat and he sent them off straight away while the crowd was still buzzing there. He sent them off to Bethsaida. Now Mark didn't give us any explanation on the urgency Jesus had. What we have learned is actually from another account in John 6 that Jesus knew that people wanted to force him to be a king. The legion of 5,000 men were ready to have a military coup at the point because they had received free bread. But Jesus would not give himself to man's intent. And so before anything could happen, Jesus, he sent his disciples into the lake. He himself dismissed the crowd. Or whether they're fully dismissed or not, we do not know. He, he, he headed up to the mountainside to pray. Now if you're in the journey of Mark, you'll notice that Mark only records three times that Jesus prayed. The first time happened in Mark 1, where the disciples were, were so excited about miracles and Jesus said that he was here, not just for the miracles, but to preach the kingdom of God. Later, the third prayer that Jesus had is in Mark 14, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed that all-important prayer, not my will, but your will be done. At right smack between 1 and 14, we have this second prayer in Mark chapter 6, as Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray. Mark didn't tell us what he prayed about. Perhaps it was to affirm that he would indeed be a shepherd king, but not as man sees it. He will not be in a palace like King Herod. He will be a shepherd king by being on the cross for the sheep. Later that night, when Jesus had finished praying, he looked up and he saw the disciples' boat was in the middle of the sea. They had been rowing the, the oars for hours, but the wind was against them. So here's a bit of a geography about um, the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, it, it, its distance is 21 kilometers. Some people would argue that if they rode 10 kilometers, they just need two hours to get from one end to the other. But there they were for hours, in right smack in the middle of the night already, they're still stuck at the halfway point. Now even fishermen by this time will get seasick in such circumstances. Now I remember half a lifetime ago, I used to be really passionate about scuba diving. So whenever I save up enough, I'll head up for a scuba dive, even if they're cheap ones. On one occasion, uh, I was heading out for a dive in somewhere in West Malaysia. A and the water was really, really choppy and everyone was getting really seasick. Uh, you have seasoned divers in half the boat and you have some family members of, I can't remember if they were children, there with the, the, the family. And everyone was getting very seasick and everyone was trying their hardest not to vomit. Because you know the domino effect happens when the first person vomits in a very seasick place. It's been 20 years. I can recall that moment when I was there, the choppy waters and the smell of the boat. Perhaps you have. You know, if you have taken a coach, a traveling coach, and someone um, was sick and it was a mess. So I want us to imagine here another unforgettable event. It's a stormy ride in the lake. Half the disciples were veterans of the sea. The other half, they were not so. They were not drowning, but they knew that they were under the mercy of nature. It's here that we read this word. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them 
walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by them. Here's the intentional note by Mark that's worth our attention. If you have missed it, here's the time to look at it. The disciples, they were under the mercy of nature while Jesus strolled towards them on the lake. Yes, he was going towards them, but he was not intending to stop. He was going to pass by them. He was close enough for them to see him, but he was not planning to stop. The question is, why would Jesus do that? Now, some people, commenters, say Jesus was just pretending to pass by them so that they would call to him. Others say, well, Jesus was just trying to get to the destination. The best way is to go straight line. It means walking on water, and he wants to be there before them. And surprise, guys. I don't, I don't think that makes much sense for Mark to write it this way. Because Jesus wasn't pretending or Mark would have written it. Neither would Jesus have walked on water out of convenience. When have we seen Jesus do a miracle out of convenience or for himself? But then it's clear that Jesus wants them to see him pass by them in the storm. So the question is, why does Jesus do that? Well, let's consider for a moment, if you're still with me, the lesson Jesus had been trying to teach his disciples with great patience and perseverance. They had seen the mighty works and heard the mighty words of Jesus. They had been given power by Jesus to preach repentance and cast out demons. They had witnessed Jesus breaking bread and in their own hands they had distributed the multiplied miracle to people in the wilderness. Now, Jesus had been showing them who he was. And here once more, Jesus wanted them to wrestle with his identity. He didn't just walk on water for the world to see. Notice he was walking on water just for the twelve to see. Just for the twelve. It was their second chance of seeing nature bow before Jesus. Because in Mark 5, earlier on, we did see Jesus had done the, the impossible miracle of calming the wind and the waves, and now Jesus revealed his glory once more. It's not an accident, but walking on water. This is what Old Testament tells us. Psalm 77 tells us of God's mighty power over Red Sea. This is what Psalm 77 says. He says, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and rivet. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Or in Job 9, speaking of God's glory in nature, this is what Job wrote. He says, He alone stretches out to the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Now, God alone has divine power over waters because he is the creator. And here, Jesus walks the path that only God can walk. Jesus wants them to recognize his divinity. If they have understood the love just a while ago, they will understand Jesus divine and call him and worship him. Now, I'd like us at this point to wrestle a little bit with um, the Bible's biblical theology, that means to look at Old Testament uh, to, to wrestle with today's passage. And I want us to think about this. There are two important people, two important people in the Old Testament who have actually witnessed God 
passing by. Do you know who are they? I heard, I heard Moses. Yes, the first one was Moses who represented the law. This is what we read in Exodus 30. This is what it says. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory pass by, I will put you in a cliff in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand, you will see my back. But my face you must not see. Now Moses saw the glorious God parted the Red Sea and he saw the glory of God passing by him. And on that day he knew God would be the shepherd who will lead Israel into the promised land. Now there's a second person who saw God pass us by. And that person was Elijah who represents the prophets. Now at his lowest point in life, we read this account about Elijah. I want to read this one verse to you from 1 Kings 19 verse 11. At his lowest point, God said this to him. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And that was the day that Elijah turned and he knew that God was in complete control. He knew on that day as well that he will go on. He will pass on. Elijah will move on. But the name and the glory of the Lord will carry on. No, Mark record for us verse 48. Let me read that again. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. After the miracle of feeding 5,000 as God had done in the wilderness, Jesus was revealing his divinity by walking on the stormy waters. They were meant to finally understand as Jesus passed them by that he was divine. He was God's Messiah. But what happened instead, they cried out thinking that it was a demonic force and Jesus had to stop immediately and he said, Take courage, it is I or it is I am. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. But Mark tells us it's not a compliment. What verse 52 says, But they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. They did not arrive at understanding what Jesus wanted them to understand when he walked and he had to enter back into the boat. They did not understand what Jesus wanted them to understand. Neither did they arrive at the destination Jesus wanted them to go. And so we read 53. Instead of reaching Bethsaida, that's where Jesus wanted them to go, they ended up miles away and landed at Gennesaret. Now while this whole drama comes in and we see the interactions and about the disciples, what we must not miss out is the compassion and the persevering Lord Jesus, the Shepherd King. You know, passing by of Jesus was meant for the disciples to be strengthened as in the past and to recognize his divinity. But he ended up stepping their boat to reveal compassion and patience towards them. You know, they are slow in the understanding. But there is great hope 
because of the compassion of the Lord Jesus, because they will eventually declare who Jesus is in Mark chapter 8. And interestingly, right after that in Mark chapter 9, they shall see Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah up on the mountains. Now, dear friends, often we are like the disciples, slow to truly understand who Jesus is when we get stopped, we get caught up in, in a storm. And you and I do. Now, one moment we can be serving in Jesus' name, another moment we might be blinded by the storms and we become afraid and we can't see his glory. One moment we might be in church praising the name of Jesus, another moment in the, in the midst of a storm we might forget that he is in charge. So we get frightened when a new storm comes in and sometimes we forget the old storm he had come for us. So perhaps it's a health scare, perhaps job uncertainties. I was taking a grab today and, and the grab driver was telling me that his business has gone down by half because nobody wants to go to the office now. And he says he was uh, waiting for someone in Amoke. He used to come, the, the rice comes straight away, but he said he fell asleep for two hours and his phone didn't even ring for one ride. And he was saying that he used to buy groceries once a month with his wife, but that once a month trip didn't work out this month because there wasn't enough food in the market for his family to buy. And perhaps it could be other things that scares us, pressures, loneliness, if you're single, viruses. No, we cry out in fear rather than to look to Jesus in faith. We see the power of nature and the power of the humans that we see in, in control. And we think that the power is in the hands of the devil rather than the hands of Jesus. But thanks be to God, you and I, we have a compassionate and patient shepherd king and Lord whose deep compassion goes beyond the storms that we have. Now, when we look at the last three verses from 54 to 56, we'll see again how Jesus extends his compassion and patience to the endless flow of crowds who came to him more for healing than for teaching. But again, they were like sheep without shepherd. Now, dear friends, the same Jesus continues to extend his compassion and his patience to crowds in our villages, our towns, our countries, in fact, our churches. One of the fishermen in the boat wrote about Jesus' patience this way. That fisherman was Peter. In 2 Peter 3.14, he says this, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Jesus patiently extends his care to people who are spiritually lost and to offer to be our shepherd king because if we would receive his extended offer, we will be received into the kingdom of heaven because he will be the shepherd king that will defeat death and usher us into the promised land. Will we do that? If we are not believing Jesus, will we accept the extension of compassion to us? Will we call on him to be our shepherd king, to lead us, to guide us, to save us? Will we do that? And if we are Christians, and yet we fall easily to fears, and doubts, will we look to the historical evidence that Jesus has left for us to see who he is? Will we remember the compassion that Jesus has when he gave his life to feed you and me? Will we remember the divinity of Jesus that he didn't stay dead 
in the grave, but he rose from the dead so that we will rise from the grave as well. Now, I'd like to close by sharing a pastoral encouragement from the late evangelist John Chapman. Now, he shared this with Christians. When Christians get tempted and when doubt comes in or when poor vision blurs our vision because of the storms in life, uh, Chapo will have a conversation with himself to get himself out of bed. I'd like to close with his words of encouragement. This is his conversation to himself, and I'm quoting him. Chapo says this, So when I get up in the morning and have had enough of being a Christian, I sit on the end of the bed and swing my legs over the other side. I'll say, John Chapman, have you any fresh information that Jesus did not live? I'll say, no, I have not. And John Chapman, have you had any fresh information that Jesus Christ did not die for you, did not rise from the grave, did not promise to return? No, I have not. Well, John Chapman, keep going because this is obviously the best thing to do. And indeed, it is the best thing for us to do that we will trust in our Jesus, in His compassion, in His patience, as our Lord and Shepherd King. Because He who promised us will save us to the end. Let's close in prayer. Father, we look at this passage and we thank You and we praise You that we have a Lord who is compassionate and patient, who looks at sheep without shepherds and he stood up to be the shepherd king. It happened in his time. It continues through all generations until he returns and gathers his sheep into the kingdom. Father, we pray for ourselves in times of doubt, in times of storms, that we are easy to sway and our, our visions are unclear that you help us to turn our eyes on Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, so that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.